Now, church, we are going through the book of Galatians. So if you have a copy of God's Word, either in print or on your device, go ahead and head over there right now, Galatians chapter 2. As you find your way there, let me just say by way of a quick reminder, if you're new here or you're newer here, if you have not been to our uh, one of our Journey 101 luncheons, we're having that next Sunday. And so would encourage you to come to one of those. It's right after uh, the second service, or so right about 12.15. We'll provide lunch for you, uh, free child care for you, and we'll just hang out for about 45 minutes to an hour and kind of share with you the vision that we feel like God has given us, kind of the direction that we feel like God is taking us as a family of faith here at New Life. It's not a membership class. That's 201. This is just 101, kind of an intro for you to learn more about who we are as a church and where we're headed. So if you have never done one of those Journey 101 luncheons, would encourage you, sign up at the Next Steps booth on your way out. You can also go online to our website, newlifeofashville.com, and you can register there as well. Well, just in case you've missed one of the last two weeks, let me do a, a kind of a quick rewind of what we've seen in the first chapter of Galatians. Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul, right? Paul, formerly known as Saul. He's this a brilliant man who was a Jesus hater. He uh, imprisoned and actually murdered Jesus' followers. And one day, on his way to actually imprison and murder uh, more Christians, he uh, encounters Jesus on this road to Damascus. And Jesus absolutely revolutionizes his life. So Paul, at the time Saul, he, he meets Christ. He, he believes. He gives his life to Jesus, becomes a follower of Christ, and he basically spends the rest of his life on this planet preaching Jesus and planting churches for all these new believers to grow in their faith. Now, Paul is writing to these Christians in Galatia. It's an area located in modern-day Turkey. Because these Galatians, these new Christians, these really green people in their faith, they were not unlike us. They were very quick to forget the gospel. And we can be the same way, can we not? Think about most of our stories. For many of us, we could say, man, I remember a time when I first met Jesus. So we meet Jesus, and a lot of times then we get super excited in our faith walk. And then what happens? Life kind of smacks us in the face. We kind of get distracted by our problems. We get distracted by raising a family. We get distracted by pursuing a career or any one of 10,000 other things in our lives. We need to be reminded of the gospel. This this glorious truth that while our sin separates us from this perfect and holy God, he also loves us so much that he came to rescue us. He came on a rescue mission to rescue us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. And that in this Jesus, we find forgiveness, we find freedom, we find life. And we need, we need reminding of that. I need reminding of that. Every single day of our lives, we need that reminder. Well, so did these new Christians in Galatia especially at this time where Paul is writing this letter to them, because at this point in time, false teachers, also called the Judaizers, had infiltrated these uh, young churches, and they were teaching these brand new believers that Jesus wasn't enough to save them. So basically the argument went something like this. They would go into these new, these new uh, churches with these brand new baby believers that Paul had just led to Christ, and they would say, listen, Paul gave you a half-truth, so you do need to, to, to trust and believe and follow Jesus for the salvation of your souls. But that's not enough. Like that's half of the equation to following Jesus. The other half Paul didn't tell you about. The other half is you have to do this long list of religious rituals. 
Like, so if you're a guy, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow all the Jewish dietary laws, the Mosaic laws, the sacrificial laws, all these other things. And so they taught them that Jesus really, he wasn't enough. You had to have something else to be saved. We also mentioned a couple weeks ago that as human beings, we can tend to uh, distort or pervert the gospel in one of two primary ways. We can either tend to think, man, the gospel seems so easy. Like it, it, it seems too easy almost that Jesus did it all for us. And all we have to do is, is to love him and follow him with our lives. That seems way too simple. And so uh, let me just add some stuff to that. Let me, let me add a bunch of religious stuff that I'm going to do to kind of help Jesus save me. And that's, that's legalism, right? We're, we're adding things to the gospel. That's what these false teachers, the Judaizers, were doing. Or we can tend to kind of swing the pendulum uh, in the opposite direction. And we can kind of have this thought, well, man, if, if Jesus died to, to forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, and future, then I guess it's okay for me just to live like the spawn of Satan, I mean, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. Jesus is just going to forgive it anyway. And so we can either pervert the gospel by adding to it or subtracting from it. And to both of those distortions, the Apostle Paul is going to say in this letter, no, we must not do that. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that type of grace, it changes us. It transforms our, our hearts and our lives. We, we can't be the, the same people that we were any more than Paul could go back to murdering Christians before he met Jesus. It's unthinkable. We've also seen in the first chapter of this letter that every follower of Jesus is a missionary. The word missionary just means sent one. All right? So if Jesus saved you, he has sent you. He has made you a missionary right where you are in your context right in your neighborhood, right in your workplace, right in your school, wherever you are in life, God has sent you there for a purpose. I love this quote from 19th century uh, English pastor uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We are saved to be sent. We receive grace in order to give grace. We are entrusted the gospel so that we can share it, so that we can give it away. So that's kind of a rewind of chapter 1. We're going to dive into chapter 2 this morning. We're going to cover the first 10 verses of chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. He's talking about the Apostles. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So here's the timeline. Paul, this Jewish terrorist who's out there arresting and killing Christians, he meets Jesus one day on his way to terrorize and kill more Christians. Paul believes he's saved. He then disappears into Arabia for three years as God prepares him for the ministry that he's going to have. Paul then spends over a decade preaching this Jesus. He sees literally thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Christ. He plants a whole bunch of churches for these new believers to grow. And now 14 years have passed since his conversion. And God tells Paul through a revelation that it's time for him to go back to Jerusalem and to meet all the other apostles. Now you remember in chapter 1, 
Paul mentions very briefly that after his conversion, he went to Jerusalem for 15 days, and he hung out with the apostle Peter. He also met James, but he didn't meet any of the other apostles. So he really hasn't spent any time of consequence with the other apostles in Jerusalem. God says, Paul, it's time to go back. It's time to meet with the other guys. So basically, I think for Paul, the the thought is this. Let's make sure, let's ensure that as we kind of kickstart this movement, as we, as we launch this Jesus, Jesus movement, let's make sure that we're actually preaching the same thing. Like that's kind of important, right? We're launching this brand new movement. Let's make sure that we're actually preaching the same exact gospel. And so he goes to Jerusalem to ensure unity. He wants to make sure, I think, that the apostles are not siding with these legalistic uh, Judaizers who are trying to add a whole bunch of religious rules to following Christ. And so he takes uh, a man named Barnabas with him, And he takes another man named Titus with him as well. Now, this is a side note. This is not Paul's primary point of the text, but I think it's important for you to see this because if we don't see this, I think it's going to be really easy for most of us to struggle in our faith walk if if we don't get this, if we don't see this. Notice, Paul always has an entourage with him. Have you noticed that? Whenever he writes, wherever he's traveling on all of his missionary journeys, He's always with Barnabas or Titus or Timothy or a group of other guys. And I, listen, I point that out to you to say this. If you want to grow in your faith, you need good Christian friends around you. Paul modeled this for us. And listen, we say this a lot around here. The Christian life was never designed to be lived alone. It just wasn't. It was never designed to be lived in isolation. That's one of the reasons that we push community group life here so much is because it's a great way to develop those relationships that we need to thrive in our spiritual journey. You must have solid brothers and sisters in your life if you want to grow. Now, I would just venture a guess this morning that perhaps there are some of you here who have been saved for years. Maybe Maybe you've been following Christ in some way for for decades even, and you're maybe still a spiritual infant. Why? Because you've, you've never surrounded yourself with people that love Jesus more than they love you and who are willing to speak into your life. And the reality is, look, I, I need that in my life. I need people around me who will encourage me, people in my life who will challenge me in my marriage and the way that I'm raising my kids and the way that I pastor this church. I need people in my life around me who can help me in all of those areas, who can speak into my life. Paul needed that as well. Paul modeled it for us. He always had a group of solid brothers around him. So let me just encourage you this morning, find some Christian friends. Get into a community group and live life with them. Invite them to speak into your life. A lone ranger is a dead ranger. Don't be a spiritual hermit, right? That's just, that's just dumb. Don't do it. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So that was a pretty good day for Titus, right? Not forced to be circumcised. Um, listen, don't, we'll get to that in a minute. Don't, don't miss this. Who does Paul bring with him to this Jerusalem meeting? He brings Barnabas, and he brings Titus. So he brings Barnabas, who is this Jewish guy, right? He's a Jewish believer in in Jesus. We know from Scripture that Barnabas was super encouraging and generous. Everybody needs a friend like Barnabas, right? 
So if you're a Barnabas, if you're just naturally encouraging and generous, uh, come up after the service. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. He also brings Titus with him. Titus, this, this young Greek pastor, this Titus, this uncircumcised, bacon-eating, pork-chop-loving uh, Greek pastor who loved Jesus. Do you see what Paul is doing here, right? This is very intentional, that he's bringing a Jewish background believer and a pagan background believer. So he comes into this, this meeting in Jerusalem with Peter and all these huge apostles, right? And he says, look, I have two examples for you. I have one example. I have, a, I have Barnabas here. He's from a Jewish background. Then I have Titus here as well. He's a pagan. He was from a pagan Greek background. And they both love Jesus. They've both been transformed by the gospel. God is using both of them in amazing ways to advance his kingdom. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm Titus, I'm not, I'm not going on this trip. I don't know how that conversation went. You could just sort of imagine Paul saying, hey, Titus, listen, uh, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go meet uh, the rest of the apostles, and we're just going to make sure uh, that we're all in agreement that, uh, uh, that people don't have to be circumcised to become followers of Jesus. And so you can kind of imagine Titus like, oh, <laughs> okay, Paul, well, what happens if you lose this debate? Well, Titus, you might have to have a little operation, man. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how it's going. Like, I'm out, right? I'm, I'm not going to Jerusalem. Paul, you go by yourself. I'm going to stay here. But Titus, being the brave young man that he was, he actually goes to Jerusalem to have this conversation. The other apostles meet Titus. They see his love for Jesus, and they're like, they're like, yeah, of course, Paul. Titus doesn't have to be circumcised. He clearly is a believer. Clearly, he loves Jesus. I mean, he's pastoring a church. He's leading people to Christ. This, this guy knows Christ. He's filled with the Spirit of God. And so Titus undoubtedly just kind of goes, you kind of picture him, oh, oh, you one big guy, you know. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. Now, here's what's happening. These these sneaky, slimy, legalistic Judaizers had infiltrated all these young churches, and they were trying to make everybody follow their little religious rules to be Christians. And Paul goes, man, these, these jokers are like enemy spies. They're like enemy spies who have kind of come in, and they're, they're trying to enslave us with all their religion, all these little rites and rules are trying to enslave us with these things. Verse 5, he continues, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Galatians. Paul is getting a little salty here, isn't he? Paul says, We did not yield to these punks even for a moment. Not even for a second did we yield to these guys. Why, Paul? Why are you being so resistant to this? Paul goes, so that this gospel, the real gospel, the Jesus plus nothing else gospel, would be preserved for you, would be preserved for us here this morning. Paul was willing to fight for the purity of the gospel because he knows that our freedom hinges on this simple gospel. And we must fight for the purity of the gospel as well, even in our own hearts. Because listen, if you are anything like me, we tend to add things to the gospel. And it happens in a very subtle way. I don't think it's even in intentional for most of us as believers. But we begin to have thoughts like this. Man, 
I got to read my Bible more. Man, I, I, I've, I've got I've to start praying more so that I'll be acceptable to God. I've got to start doing all these, all these religious things so that God will actually love me in return. The truth of the matter is that is a faulty way of viewing God. No, Jesus has already made me acceptable to God. God already loves me, and that frees me from worry and guilt. It gives me the freedom to love God and others well. So yes, I, I need to be in the Word. Yes, I need to be in prayer because it helps me to see God more clearly, but not in order to earn His approval or His love. Jesus has already accomplished that for me. He already bought that for me with His own blood. And so these false teachers, these, these Judaizers, they come in and they're like, man, guys like Titus, they're not truly followers of Jesus. They've got to be circumcised first. They have to follow the, the Jewish dietary laws first, and then they can follow Jesus. And Paul's like, no way. It's not, it's, it's not happening. Look at Titus. Listen to his story. Hear how much he loves Jesus. And Peter and the other apostles are like, you're right, Paul. You're right. He's, he's a Christian. So Judaizers, you can just kind of zip it now. And you kind of picture Peter doing the security Please come remove these false teachers from our meeting, right? Paul says, look, we, we all got together for this meeting, and the end result was this, no compromise. We're not compromising the gospel. The gospel is faith in Jesus alone and nothing else. We all agree that there is but one gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing else. We can't add to it. We can't subtract from it. It's Jesus plus nothing else. And at New Life, just so you know, we've, we've landed in the same place. Like for us, it's not, it's not Jesus plus a political party here. I mean, God help us if we're trusting in either of these busted up political parties leading our country right now. For us, it's not Jesus plus nationalism. Listen, I love America. I'm a, I'm a patriot. But God is not an American God. God is a God of all nations. For us, it's not Jesus plus one ethnicity here. Listen, I love all of you white people. I really do. But I, I long for the day. I long for the day when we have more of our black and Hispanic and Asian and Middle Eastern brothers and sisters in here worshiping with us. It's not about Jesus plus not being a Duke fan. Because Jesus can love Duke fans too. That's hard to believe, but it's true. It's not Jesus plus moralism, like, hey, love Jesus, and then do this huge list of religious things over here so that he'll love you back. No, it's Jesus plus nothing else. We stand with Paul and Peter and James and John and all of these early first century Christians, and we stake our flag in the ground and say our hope is in Jesus and nothing else, nothing else. We are united under the banner of Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul is saying here. The result of this meeting is that we all decided that it is Jesus plus nothing else. We're united under that one thing. He continues in verse 6. He says, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. By the way, he's talking about the apostles in Jerusalem here. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. 
Now that almost seems a little bit rude, doesn't it? Right? The apostles just have Paul in. They host him in Jerusalem. They agree with him. They're like, hey, brother, we are, we're preaching the same gospel. And then Paul's like, hey, look, the fact that these guys are apostles means nothing to me. They added nothing to me. Now listen, I don't, I don't think that Paul was being disrespectful in any way to the other apostles. Because notice he says that God shows what? No partiality. See, Paul is saying that there's someone bigger than the apostles. There's someone bigger than the apostles. It's, it's Jesus. And this, this entire movement must be built on him. That's why, why here at New Life, we don't, we don't pray to the apostles here. We don't venerate the apostles or the saints. We don't have stained glass windows of them. Because at the end of the day, they were just men with clay feet like all of us. We worship the Redeemer, not the redeemed. Now, that's one reason, by the way, just so you know, that we're, we are an elder-led church, not a pastor-led church. We believe in a plurality of leadership. I'm not the king here as the lead pastor. I don't make unilateral decisions. I promise you, if I start preaching something up here other than the gospel, our elders will beat me up and help me pack my bags. This isn't about me. This whole movement isn't about me. It's not about anybody else. It's about Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, this isn't about me. This is not about Peter and the other apostles. This whole thing is about Jesus. God shows no partiality. He picks it up in verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is, uh, the Greeks and the pagans, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised or the Jews... For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or the Jews. So Paul, in these verses, gives us a summary of this apostolic meeting in Jerusalem. And Paul says, here's the conclusion of that meeting. We all came together, all the guys got together, and we decided that, listen, Jesus saved me, Paul, and he entrusted me with the gospel to carry it to the Gentiles. And then Jesus saved Peter and entrusted him with the same exact gospel message so he could take that message to the Jews. We are united in this. We are, we are partners in this. We are on the same team. There is one gospel, there's different Mission fields. So you can kind of picture Paul and Peter, all the apostles, just at the conclusion of this meeting, giving each other a high five, and then saying, listen, let's get to work. Let's get to work. There are a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus. There are a lot of people that need to be set free. And from that, I want you to see this big idea. There are kind of two big ideas in this text this morning. This is the first one. Write this down if you're a note taker. We are entrusted with the gospel to give it away. Right? We are entrusted with the gospel to get away. Paul says, listen, I was entrusted with the gospel so I could give it away to the Gentiles. Peter was entrusted with the gospel so that he could give it away to the Jews. Believer, you have been entrusted with this gospel message to reach the people that God has placed in your life. And so they partnered together. No competition, no rivalry, unity in the gospel. And just so you know, and I think it's important that you know this, 
Because of your generosity, we've been able to give away $3,000 to three different church plants in Western North Carolina just this month. One church is working in the inner city here in Asheville. Another is working in Black Mountain with a, kind of the, the bohemian or hippie population. And there's another one that's planting on the west side of Asheville. In fact, this year, we're investing tens of thousands of dollars into gospel partnerships here in Asheville and around the world. You're participating in that. You need to know that. At New Life, we believe in partnerships when it comes to the gospel. In fact, you may not know this, but if you're a covenant member here at New Life, we will give you 20% up to $500 for any mission trip that you take. We believe in getting this gospel out, and we believe in putting our money where our mouth is. Paul says, this is, this is what we're doing. We are partnering to see the kingdom of Jesus advance all over the known world. And then Paul closes out this section of his letter with verse 10. He says this, Only they, that is the Jerusalem apostles, asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So Peter, James, John, all the apostles that are kind of hanging out in Jerusalem, reaching the Jews, they say, hey, Paul, listen, we are preaching the same exact gospel. We're teammates. You keep preaching Jesus to the pagans, we'll keep preaching Jesus to the Jews. The only thing we ask, Paul, the only thing we ask is that you would remember to care for the poor. Now, that's sort of an odd request at first glance, right? Because this whole meeting has been about the gospel is Jesus plus nothing else. And then they say, oh, and by the way, we want, you to add, we want to add that you need to care for the poor on top of it. But it's really not strange at all, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Here's the second kind of big idea in the text this morning. The gospel, the real gospel, the simple gospel, the Jesus plus nothing gospel always moves us to action. It always moves us to action. Grace never stands still. Our faith is not static. We can't meet Jesus have all of our sins completely forgiven, receive abundant life on this earth and in eternity, and then just like go plop down on our couch and watch Netflix for the next 50 years until we die. The gospel compels us to love and serve and sacrifice in the name of the one who has set us free. If you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. There's some more uh, verses. We don't have time to go through all of these, but we'll go through a couple. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote an entire book in the Bible. He says this in chapter 2 of his book. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Dead. Jesus says, listen, you say you love Jesus. You have a stone-cold heart for the hurting, for the hungry, for the abused. You don't know Jesus. That's what James says. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 3. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's a rhetorical question. He's saying it doesn't. It's impossible. Proverbs 14, he who oppresses the poor taunts their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors him. Proverbs 21, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too shall cry out and receive no answer. Did you catch that? God says if you hear somebody cry out in pain, 
If you see somebody in need and you do nothing to help them, I'm not going to hear your prayers. I'm not even going to listen to you. And these verses are all over Scripture. We could spend the next 30 minutes going through these, all over the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So why was the early church so serious about the centrality of the gospel first and caring for the poor second? Here's why. The bride of Christ must always be about the business of Christ. And make no mistake about it, God's heart beats for the poor, for the brokenhearted, for the suffering, for the abused, for the voiceless. Now some would say, man, Chris, it sounds like you're preaching a social gospel now. To which I would say, no, I'm not. I didn't write Galatians. I didn't write James or Proverbs or any of the other passages that we just read from, right? As a pastor, it's, it's my job to, to, to deliver the mail, not to write the mail. Right? I'm, not, I'm not the chef. I'm, I'm the waiter. I, I deliver to you what God has already prepared for us in his word. This is the true gospel. The true gospel moves us to action. So the gospel is primary, but the gospel also compels us to be about what God is about always. It always moves us to action. In Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, uh, he had this to say. He said, next to the proclamation of the gospel, it is the task of a good pastor to be mindful of the poor. Now I'd add to Luther's comment here that it's not only the task of a pastor, it's the task of every follower of Jesus to be mindful of the poor, to be mindful of the lonely and the hurting and the powerless among us. And Paul hears this challenge from the other apostles, and Paul says, I'm eager. Guys, I'm eager for this. I'm, I'm already doing this. That's not a burden for me. That's a, that's a blessing for me to be generous to the poor. Right? Paul wasn't like, aha, I knew you greedy apostles were finally going to get to the money thing. I knew you were really after my money. No, Paul's like, I'm, I'm glad. I'm eager for this. I want to be generous. Generosity is an overflow of the grace that we've received from God. And God has given us himself. How then can we turn around as his disciples and live a tight-fisted, selfish life? This is a mark of a true believer. Generosity, caring for the poor, loving the hurting in our midst. We cannot turn a blind eye to suffering. We, we must not if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Let me close with a, a challenge because I know how much most of you love a challenge, right? You wouldn't be at New Life very long if you didn't like being challenged. So the apostles settled on two things in this meeting in Jerusalem. The first thing they settled on was the importance of the simple gospel. That's primary. We cling to that. That's our hope. That's our freedom. That it's Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus plus absolutely nothing else. And the second thing they settled on was caring for the poor. So the two questions I have for you this morning are the two challenges is, are these. When's the last time, and this is self-inventory time. You don't, don't shout out an answer. This is just between you and God. When's the last time you shared this simple gospel with somebody else? With anybody else? I mean, just shared your story. What Jesus has done in your life, how he set you free, how he changed your life. 
and then told them that Jesus wants to do the same thing for them. See, friend, we try to make it complex. We try to complicate things. We try, we try to muddy the water, and we think, man, this is too complicated. This is too intimidating. Listen, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology to tell somebody about Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a missionary. You might be a good missionary, you might be a bad missionary, but you are a missionary. You are sent. And God has put you right where you are to point the people in your life to Jesus. And so just honest reflection time, when's the last time you did that? Have you ever done that? Just said, hey man, no judgment from me. But this is the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. And I just feel like, I love you so much, I feel like I need to share this with you. Jesus changed me, man. He completely revolutionized my life. And I know that he wants to do the same thing for you. When's the last time you had that conversation? Here's the second challenge. How many poor people have you helped in the last year? How many poor people have you helped in the last three years? Do you even know a poor person? Now listen, if you give to New Life, you are giving to the poor. Understand that because we partner with a ton of organizations, local ministries that care for the poor, the homeless, victims of human sex trafficking, all that. And that's awesome. But beyond just dropping a check in the basket, how are you engaged with the poor? With those who are suffering in our community, with those who are suffering in your neighborhood. Listen, how how did Jesus live? What was his example? Jesus did two things in his earthly ministry. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he cared for the poor, did he not? Jesus was constantly feeding people. He was healing people. He was raising dead people to life. He is our example. So as his disciples, we must be about both. We both proclaim the life-giving news of the gospel of Jesus, and we care for those who are suffering, right? Right? We, we live in such a way that demonstrates that our message is true. Church, would you bow your heads with me just for a moment as we close this morning? Listen, it is, it is not possible. It is impossible for you to live this life. This life of loving Jesus, of sharing his gospel, of caring for the hurting, caring for the poor. It is impossible for you to live this sort of selfless life unless you know Jesus. Just like Paul, when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, your heart must be transformed by him. Jesus called this this experience the new birth. In order to live this type of that kind of selfless life that just sets us free, we have to be transformed by Jesus. We have to have a dynamic relationship with him. If you ever say, man, like I believe in Jesus intellectually. I believe God is real. I believe that all the Jesus died and rose. I believe that intellectually all that stuff is true, but I don't really want to live my life that way. I have no desire to actually live that way. In a sacrificial way, loving Jesus and sacrificially loving other people. If you were just honest and say, man, I have no desire for that. That's fine. But listen, you, you probably have never met this Jesus guy. Because that is what he was all about. And as his disciples, that is what we must be about as well. 
At the end of the day, the book of Galatians brings us to this crossroads in our lives. It brings us to this place, and it forces us to ask the question, do you believe this gospel? I mean, have you embraced it? Not just do you intellectually believe that it's true. James says, even the demons believe and they tremble. We're talking, have you ever surrendered your life to the Jesus of this simple gospel? I want you to know, if you haven't, that offer is on the table this morning. You can walk out of here in a couple of minutes with a new life and a new heart. If that's your desire, if you're like, yes, that's what I need. Maybe I've been religious for a long time. Maybe I've been sitting in these chairs for years. Maybe I know all the right Sunday school answers, but that's what I need. I need my life to be changed by a dynamic encounter with Jesus Christ. If that's you, you're like, man, that's what my heart longs for. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. That's what you want. I want you to just pray this prayer with me right now. The words to this prayer are not important. There's nothing magical about these words. But God sees the posture of your heart. And so if that's your desire, just pray something like this, right? In the silence of your own heart. God, I confess that I need you. I need you. God, I can't save myself. God, I can't, I can't be good enough. I can't try hard enough. God, I need a new heart. I need a new, a new life, God. So would you please forgive me of my sins? Give, give me this new life in Jesus, God. By your spirit, help me to love him. Help me to follow him. From this moment until I breathe my last breath on this planet. God, give me this new life. I receive Christ. I, I accept his finished work on the cross on my behalf. Father, for those in the room who already know you, already followed Jesus, would you help us, God? Would you help us by the power of your spirit to live in freedom, to live in the type of freedom that, that allows us to, to give the gospel away without fear, allow us to live in the type of freedom that allows us to, to love and to sacrifice for the poor and the hurting in our world that you created and you love. God, would you help us to be a reflection of Jesus this week in our neighborhoods and in this city, all for the glory of Jesus. And it's in that name, the only name that sets us free, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.